So I'm in Mark 3, starting in 20, because that's where I am with the senior high students. So let's get into it, guys. So then the multitude came together again. So they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So just, you know, we're getting all of a sudden a snapshot into Jesus' life. As, you know, Mark is just that the, the gospel that's showing you snapshots of, of the, the gospel that the other gospel writers might go into further. Man, you get right into it, and Jesus just, in his ministry in this picture, seems kind of alone. Um, yeah, he has his disciples. We just, if you read before that, he's just chosen his disciples, the, the people who are going to follow him. But he has his family, his own, says they're his own people, his, his, his brethren. And they are the ones that are saying this, that are out of his mind. And where it says, not so much um, as eat bread. They could not so much as eat bread. It's that's also pointing to the 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 fervence, the the zeal that Jesus is doing his ministry at. That he's doing so much that he doesn't seem to necessarily take time to maybe do normal things like eat. He might be skipping some of that to continue doing what he's called to. And his family, like his blood, is saying, "What is what is wrong with him?" And then you go to the Pharisees who are always against him, and now. They're calling him out for being satanic. Um, it's really crazy, you know, being in a ministry where sometimes you, or whatever, ministry, life, where you're doing what you you know the Lord's calling you to do. And you do sometimes have that feeling of, or not feeling, the truth that people are against you, that, that even those who you think should be maybe supporting you or being diligent to come alongside you or whatever are not. And you seem like, well, I feel like I'm going against all oppositions, even opposition that I shouldn't be. Um, you know, with the family thing here with Jesus, you know, we're going to get into it later when he says, who is my, you know, who is my mother? Who, is, who are my brethren? And if you've ever been in that situation where, you know, you're, you're doing what you believe the Lord's calling you to do. I personally thank the Lord of not. I have had supportive family. That's always when I've, have the Lord place something on my life that you should be doing this, and I begin to doing it. Do it. Most of my immediate family is very much go good, good for you. But being in Bible college and hearing of those stories where people like had to disobey their parents to get to Bible college or do things that their family was like, no, you aren't going to do this. This is crazy. And that was such a big struggle, wrestling match they have to live with until hopefully the Lord, you know, changes their family's heart. But um, something I've never dealt with. But Jesus does, and that's something that I think is encouraging for people who might need to hear that, that, that Jesus deals with that that struggle of, of family um, opposition. So, anyways, responding to the Pharisees and their claim to his ministry being of demons, he called, um, called them to himself and said to them in, in parables, um, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but um, has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit um, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And, and then it says, because they said he has an unclean spirit. And man, um, Jesus goes, I love this. I lo Sometimes, you know, when we read what Jesus said, we don't necessarily have the tone or the the exact mood of what how Jesus maybe said what he said. Was he serious? Was he being a little bit maybe sarcastic? Was he being frustrated? Um, and obviously I don't know, but he goes right here with just kind of a logical response of like, if I am Satan working against Satan, it's pretty dumb. So 
that argument doesn't really make sense. And he kind of just attacks that, that the intellectual logical side of it first and the truth side of it. But that if a kingdom is against itself, it can't stand. I mean, everybody knows that. Any nation, empire, whatever that has ever had internal struggles that didn't get rectified, they dissolve. Um, and Jesus is saying the same thing. If Satan was working against himself, why? No, he's not going to do that. Um, which, side note, there's something that when I read this, I always think of, and it's kind of different, but it's related. When you have that, when you hear the Lord speaking to you, you know, when God is speaking to you, sometimes, you know, for instance, you know, some things I give um, with the teens, you know, examples of how to know when God's maybe telling you to do something specifically in our life in public. You know, maybe you're walking down the street or you're waiting for a bus or something and you have that voice like, hey, you see that person that's, you know, just sitting over there all alone. Why don't you go just say something to them, encourage them, pray for them, whatever. Whatever you feel that God's putting on your heart to say to someone. And then you might have that internal, how do I know this is God? I don't know if I should do that. I don't really want to do that. I don't know, maybe. Maybe do. Hopefully we do do that. But maybe we won't. And that's where I feel like we sometimes question, is this the voice of God? And that's the same question. Why? Satan's not going to tell us to go talk to somebody and pray for somebody. And my flesh isn't. Because I hate doing that stuff. When you have that thought, it's pretty... You can be confident that i it's not Satan. It's probably not yourself, because again, I'm not going to have an idea to go do that. It probably is Jesus. It's probably the Holy Spirit saying, hey, go talk to somebody, minister to somebody. And it's so easy to doubt that. I don't want to do that, because our flesh doesn't want to do that. So I, I think that this is saying that, that Satan's not going to cause us to do that. Jesus is the one that places those callings, those small callings on our life to go do things like that. And they're tough because it's weird to just go up and talk to some random person about something that nobody wants to talk about. But it's important. Same with here. A house divided against itself is not going to stand. So, and then he kind of moves kind of into a pretty related but different category where he brings up the blasphemy of the spirit. Now we, you know, in our day and age, usually refer to it as the unpardonable sin, unforgivable sin, so and such of vernacular. But it's interesting, you know. I was listening to Joe Foch, and he was talking about this verse and saying that him and other guys, you know, have talked, you know, just in talking about it. It seems almost like God saying, because you know, the unpardonable sin is dying, rejecting Christ, going to hell. You know, that is the unpardonable sin. But almost like Jesus is saying what they've done is that, but they're still alive. Um, and that they've almost come to this conclusion where it almost seems like they were able to do something that nowadays we couldn't. Because until you're dead, you can't, and you have the opportunity of repentance. But these, the way Jesus refers to that, where he says, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. This is because they said he has an unclean spirit. It's almost like saying just because he said he's of Satan, Jesus is now saying, well, you shouldn't have said that. And, it, and their kind of explanation as to why they kind of come to this in their discussions is that they've, they were able to do something that we can't. They got to witness Jesus' ministry in person. They got to see him working his wonders in front of them and then saying, no, that's Satan. It's pretty drastic <laughs> to call the creator of everything Satan in front of him. So... I'm sure Jesus, the Lord, didn't, obviously, from what we read, didn't take kindly to that. Instead, there shall be, against the Holy Spirit, has never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Which, that's, you know, when I hear people being just so, even people who, you know, raised in the church have some understanding of the significance of God and are just saying things that are that, like, God is evil. God is you know, sadistic. God is the, and I'm like, I don't know how you're even like willful to say these things. <laughs> Cause like, if you know who God is, first of all, the fear of God would make me never ever want to say something like that. But also my knowledge of who God is, I know God's not that. But people who, again, I guess I can understand people who just don't, never understood. They've never been, had any enlightenment to what we believe that those people, you know, raised in the church and they've grown apart from it. And now their God is evil. I'm like, I don't know how you, I just don't get that. So, Again, I don't believe those people are, because they say those things, are condemned to hell immediately. But it's definitely weighty to say things. And I think people need, we all need to think about what we say first. Even Christians. Sometimes I know that we as Christians can 
maybe even inadvertently, unintentionally mock God in what we say. Usually it's through possibly like listening to other things in our world, like watching a thing that might be funny or whatever, and there's like a joke that might be a little bit of a slight towards the Christian principle. And instead of immediately being like, that's terrible, you might be like, that's kind of, oh, that's terrible. And you kind of chuckle, but then you realize I probably shouldn't laugh at that. Like that. I mean, I feel like that is in a way, I mean, it is. We're kind of mocking God that we are. And I do it. Not a lot, but I have. You know, I hear things that's funny that is absolutely aimed at Christianity, and I chuckle, and I'm like, eh, why did I laugh at that? Why didn't I just immediately get broken hearted about it? So even in their terrible speech, I guess I can identify with that, which is, I hope I can't, and I pray that I never do again, but I have. Then, 31, moving on. Then his brothers and his mother came, um, and standing outside, they sent um, to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brother are outside seeking you. This is, hold on real quick. A lot of people that I was, I've been, you know, doing some studying, reading, attribute the mother and brothers as cousins. I was reading that in commentaries. I was like, I don't, I don't really, I don't see that. I feel like the words are used specifically for a reason. I believe it is Mary and his siblings. Um, and they're literally, you know, standing outside of wherever he is. There must be like a, a place where they aren't really getting past. So they can maybe see him enough to call like, you know, hey, Jesus. And people are like, hey, your family is calling you. And he says something that's probably shocking to most of the people standing there listening to him, probably his disciples and his family, if they could hear what he's saying. Um, who is my mother or my brothers? Um, and he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. And um, this is another thing that's really tough. And I think this section right there of family ties into later when we're going to get into some of the the seed or the soils in which seed falls. Um, so I'll bring this up later. But family can be so persuasive away from Jesus. Even if it's like maybe good intentioned or, I mean, maybe they just think you're crazy. But even if they claim Christianity themselves, but maybe they're not as passionate about it, about it as you, or they're not as zealous, or they think you're a nut, but like, yeah, Jesus is great, but chill out. Like, that's, that's, you have to choose, you know, like, wow, is what is more important to me, Jesus or my family? Or not even Jesus, but the people that are surrounding me in my church, for instance, are those people more my family than my family? And then making that decision can then further anger your family. You know, if you do make that decision where they're like, wow, you're really getting involved with your church and you never see anymore. It's like, well, sorry. I love you guys, but I pray for you, but we're different. We are different in our beliefs, in our thoughts, in our path in life. Yeah, you might think you're on the narrow path, but I don't, I don't know. I am, and I want to stay on it. So catch up or, sorry, I'm going to continue to pursue Jesus. And that's the, I mean, that's obviously one of the hardest things in Christianity. A lot of people fall away from their Christianity because of family. I want to, but I don't want to, like, make my mom angry. I don't want to make my dad angry. I don't like my brother. You know, my brother doesn't, so I feel like I should wait for him. No. Pray for your brother. Don't wait. Run to Jesus. And um, this is Jesus. I mean, he's telling people this. And that Jesus has such harsh words against family. I mean, Matthew 10, you don't hate your mother and your brother more than me. You're not worthy of me. Ouch. <laughs> Obviously, you know, there's, you can study into that and understand what truly is being said. But there is a, if you don't love me more than these, Sorry. And that's that's the decision that we have to make that's tough, the toughest, I think. Because friends, go. I think everybody in this room who's was maybe once not a Christian, who now is, have their friends have maybe changed. <laughs> you maybe once had friends that you're no longer friends with, and now you have new friends that are more like-minded with you. But your family, you can't get rid of, unless you have a really terrible situation happen and you're like out, outcasted from the family. But, man, family is just tough. And... <laughs> I learned some. I saw some pretty crazy things. For those of you who don't know, I've spent time in missions. Um, one of the places I was in was Kyrgyzstan. I was over there for about a year. Um, one of the guys that I uh, was in the church that I was over there with, his name was Reveal, and he was so weird, not weird, strange and unique cultures over there that we might not be familiar with. There is, if you're not familiar, Kyrgyzstan is not Middle East. It's far 
Central Asia. So it's, you know, north of Tajikistan, which probably doesn't help. That's north of Afghanistan, kind of helps. South of Kazakhstan, doesn't really help. More south of Russia, kind of helps. And it's, it's west of China. That's usually the one that's like, oh, okay, I guess I get it. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's one of those things where, like, until I took eighth grade geography, I haven't thought of it since. Like, it's just whatever. But that's where I was. And one of the cultures that's way smashed over near China and actually goes into China a bit is called the Uyghur culture. Um, they are very Muslim. The whole culture is. Most of Kyrgyzstan and Central Asia is Muslim, but to varying degrees. The Uyghurs are like a very old Islam that came through kind of fascinating history I and mean, stuff that connects like thousands of years ago when sultans from the um, um, Sasanian Empire, I mean, long time ago, came through and conquered areas in what was the Parthian Empire and established Islam, the Islamic Golden Age. Um, and they were very serious about their Islam. And these people have held to that to the point where, like, you know, apostates are going to die. Um, now, most of Kyrgyzstan, if you, like, wanted to not be a Muslim, they're like, oh, whatever, it's fine. They didn't really care. Like, when I was in Bishkek, the capital, I didn't, I mean, you'd say, like, one out of, like, 100 people wearing, like, a hijab. Most people were wearing jeans and sweatshirts and normal, and whatever. But this culture is not that way. This guy in my church named Reveal became a Christian. Like, there was no chance that he was going to have that happen, but he took a trip to Bishkek one time when he was in university, met some missionaries, kind of hung out with them on the street. They were doing evangelism. Through their conversation, just what they were saying made sense. Started questioning Islam. Didn't tell anybody about it because he was scared. Went back home and was doing his own, like, praying. He didn't have a Bible, but he was just praying to Jesus now, not Allah. And ended up having Christ revealed to him truly, and he renounced Islam and only to his family, not to, like, his village. And, I mean, he always said, I'm so grateful that my dad was so gracious. And then he would tell us the story. I'm like, if I was in America, that'd still be, like, not that gracious. His dad said, I'm going to take you right now, and we're going to walk, and you're never coming back here. If we ever see your face again, we're going to kill you. said, I mean, I guess that's gracious. I mean, to not kill you then. <laughs> but if in America, like, I was in Nebraska, and I can't go back there else, I'm dead. Like, this is America, man. Come on. So it was, like, eye-opening. I was like, man, people have to really go through a lot to choose Christ. I mean, over here, it's like, you know, you might have, like, an awkward Thanksgiving where you, like, have a banter back and forth of, like, you know, you need to believe in Jesus more. Like, chill, cool out with Jesus. And, like, my family's so tough. I hate my life. Like, this, what? This guy's going to die if he goes home. And, like, I don't know. Maybe some people like, just get it over with. I'd rather have that than all these weird conversations for like 60 years. But anyways, he prays for his family all the time. I think he's mentioned that there have been other converts now from his village. Praise God. Um, it was really crazy, actually, side story. He, uh, when I was over there, we, um, 2012, the pastor I was working with, an American guy named Jed Gorley, um, he was Jeremy Camp's youth pastor. You know who Jeremy Camp is. Probably do, maybe not. But was his youth pastor when he was in high school. So Jed, now in Kyrgyzstan, was like, hey, we really want to host a Christian concert at their Olympic soccer stadium. We're going to try to get in contact with Jeremy Camp and see if he can come over. I was like, that seems like a bold goal. It seems like a lofty goal. He was like, no, I was a youth pastor. I was like, oh, this is doable then. So we did, and he came over. Long story short, he did. He came. It was awesome. Filled the entire soccer stadium. We were like three months just handing out invitations all over the streets of Kyrgyzstan. But um, before he performed, we had some local people could, like do stuff so they could understand because Jeremy speaks English. Um, so Reveal, this guy, actually sings very well and he can play their original tribal instrument. It's kind of like a guitar, but it sounds nothing like it. He sang this song that he wrote that was very boldly Christian in his original language on a stage full of people who, there were probably people in that crowd who understood what he was saying. Very bold move for him, because that was very threatening for him to do that. Um, but it was such a cool thing. He had people come up to him afterwards who have, are in a similar situation, who have left that area, come to the capital, and are now like, I don't even know where I'm supposed to go, because I have no money, I'm from Kyrgyzstan, where am I going to go? I can't go back home, so I guess I'm stuck here. And um, it was just cool to see that and this is maybe for us, 
family friction can be inspiring, I guess. You know, maybe other people who aren't being as passionate with their family and showing them how much they love Christ might see another family member who is dealing with that friction and they're like, I should be more like that. I don't want that, but I should be more like that. And it can maybe inspire you because, again, that's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, being like Christ, you know, <laughs> cling to your family that's around you, us. You know, we all are here. We like God probably in a maybe a little bit of a different way, but we're all on the same page, maybe more than our actual family. So cling to your church family. Cling to your spiritual family. It's important. That's what Jesus tells us to do, and he did that. So do that. Changing scenes again, we're now going into the parable of the seed sower. So, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. Okay, I'm going to get into that, but parable thing. I remember when I was in, pardon me again, also Kyrgyzstan and Peru, when I spent some time there, both of those places I had people all the time asking me, why on earth did Jesus speak in parables? Why didn't he just tell them stuff like a normal person? And, you know, there's the reason for that. What is parable? So parable, para is alongside, and then bellow is... Um, to cast, cast alongside. Parables are like, you're kind of saying it, but it's like incognito, obviously. We know parables. We read it, and you're like, that's a little bit. I guess if I think about it, I understand. And that's the purpose of them. That's why Jesus did it. Jesus did it to weed out those who cared and who didn't care. Um, you know, hey, I'm going to tell you this story. If you don't care, you're going to think I'm just telling you some random story about a guy who sows seed. If you do care, you're going to think about it and be like, I get you. That makes sense now. And it's great, because instead of telling it so everybody understands and then having to wait for people who actually care, and then it just saves time. It's a time saver, and it's awesome. Um, so that's the reason. Anyways, listen. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. <clears throat> some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth but when the sun was up it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away and some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some 30 fold some 60 and some 100 and he said to them he who has ears to hear let him hear but when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he, asked, and he said to them, um, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Isaiah 6, 9, that reference. Um and that, that prophecy also is part of the reason why he does parables, because it was said that. It was foretold, so he did, that's how it is. Um, but it's just interesting to me that after it, it's over, it doesn't just say that um, just the 12. It says um, those around him with the 12. So... Sometimes people are like, oh, the disciples stayed and asked questions. No, there are people who also stayed who were also intrigued to ask questions. Those are the ones who cared and did not care. Obviously, there are probably people there because this is a very interesting time. He's just explaining this, and probably as this is going on in the season of spring, there's probably people currently doing this on the hill next to them. Maybe not. Maybe they weren't in that area. But maybe there was like a farm in that area. They see some guy out chucking seed, and they're like, yeah, that's happening right now. And some people are like, what does this have to do with anything? And they probably left because they were like, well, I'm not getting any food. It's kind of hot. Let's go home. But then there's other people like the disciples who were like, this is meaning something else. Explain it to me. Which, that's us. We should be doing that. Seek. Let's seek what it means. Let's dig. Let's find out. 
Anyways, she said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, so, um, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering um, in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Um, this is such an awesome such an awesome parable. It's such a good description of one of every human on earth. Everybody fits into one of these. Or maybe multiple. I don't know. But, yeah. So obviously there's categories here. This, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside. Um, that footpath, it's hard-packed. It's trampled. Lots of use. You know, it's a hardened heart. It's those people who are just angry, hardened people. You know, I know people who probably should be Christians who are that, that I know they've, like, had ample, like, gospel, but they're just like, this. no, don't need it, whatever, stupid, I want to do other things. All right. Um, and that's the thing. They don't even have, like, a reaction to it, like the people on the stony ground who are like, yeah, great, eh, I guess not. These are just like, no, don't need it don't care. I want to do other things. And that's, you know, it shows Satan is coming down and picking that out, which is what's happening. Those people are having the gospel presented to them, and maybe immediately as they're having gospel presented to them, they're having, like, I don't know, I always think of, like, with this, to give an example, a person who, you know, might, might be saved, and like, let's say, like, a college campus, and you're in some philosophy class, and some Christian kid's trying to prove his point as to why Jesus exists. This person with a hard heart over there, like, hears it, and is like, maybe, like, possibly, and before they even think that, the professor's like, nope, because of this, and they're like, oh, yeah, see, nope, mm -mm, dumb, can't do it. And there's just, there's always a reason for them to brush off the gospel, because they're hard heart. Um, but, like we at one point who had a hardened heart, possibly, our fallowed ground can be, you know, scuffed up and softened for us, which, you know, the Lord, through his grace, can do. You know, I know a lot of people who were hard-hearted, and the Lord just softened their heart right up, and now they're great believers, which is amazing. And if that's us or one of you, praise God. But there is ground that is just going to go unbroken, because they're just, that's who they are. Um, so, yeah. Rocky ground. Know a lot of people like this too. You know, the, those people who I know that they've had it shared with. Maybe I was with them. Maybe I was the one who did it. Who like they hear it and they're just like those people who are like almost annoyingly like, yeah, Jesus. But then like the first thing that happens in their life that's slightly difficult, they're like, can't do it. It's too tough. Then I go back to, you know, drinking and whatever I was doing in my past life. It's like, why? Why would you continue doing this? Eh, it's the people who choose Egypt. <laughs> Over freedom, because it's easier. Yeah, I don't need Jesus that much. I mean, I kind of, yeah, I get it. It's kind of true. I kind of see that, but it's just so hard. All right, well, fine, but it's your choice. <laughs> but the third group, I think, is the most important in our culture, I think. That group that is the, the gospel that is sown into people, and they are like, yeah, but then... Life is just like, nope, choke hold you out and you suffocate. I think that is so many people who, like, I feel like that's the one that, like, some of that thorny soil is, like, almost in the good soil, but there's some weeds, like, and thorns, like, encroaching. And so many Christians, I feel like, fall to this where they're like, because the thing is, it doesn't say, sorry, um, 
and the cares of this world. It doesn't say like the bad cares of this world. It doesn't say like those cares might not be sinful. It might be very wholesome things, but you care about that stuff more than Jesus. Like worrying, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to pay for whatever. I don't know how I'm going to go next. I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. I need to pay for this. I, whatever. Or it could be, you know, things you desire, because that's what it says. Um, desires of other things. You don't even say what, just other stuff. I really want this, and I would love, because I, I do that, where I'm like, good track with the Lord, and then I like, I don't know, what? It hasn't happened in a while. You know, walking past like a big TV in Walmart, and I'm like, yeah, I want that. Or whatever. And like you get fixated on something you might want. And you're like, man, I'd really love to have that thing. And to the point where like I'm not even like caring about that. I'm just like, I want something. Or a, an action, you know, I'd love to do this thing, but I'm not supposed to. So I should stop thinking about it and think about Jesus. But man, I just. The other thing too is. A lot of, I feel like with because there's people who come from different backgrounds in Christianity. Like I know there's more than just two, but there's kind of two. There's the people who were just like raised Christian and have known nothing else, and then there's people who were raised absolutely not Christian, and Christ got them out of that. And there are kind of two perspectives now. They're dealing with the same thing, but they're coming at it from a different way. They both need to abide in Christ, but. The always Christian people are having to like sift through Christian culture to find who Jesus truly is. And then the people who, and not that they don't deal with struggles themselves, but then the people who came out of the world, I feel like are always battling like some past like struggle. Like, man, I can't do this. This was a part of my life. Nope, mm -mm, not going to do it. And they keep fighting, which great. But it's always clawing at you. Whereas, again, a kid who was raised in Christianity who maybe never fell away, then feels always been goody two-shoes Christian, they might, again, get swamped by, like, Christian music and T-shirts and Christi Christianese where it's like, oh, I'm a Christian, but, like, why? And then they're like, I don't know, because I'm American, and I, Jesus is good. I'm like, okay, great, but, like, can you give me any theological anything? Not really. Like, what is the gospel? And they, like, can't articulate what that is? It's like, man, read your Bible. <laughs> like, something, pray. And it's hard, because I get that. I was raised as a Christian kid, and I kind of knew what to say, but I didn't ever necessarily believe it. I knew what to say, you know what to say, but it's like, you'd get choked out by the world. And then as I was the Christian kid who was raised as a Christian, as a Christian but went to public school, which, if you do that, fantastic. But it can be confusing, because you're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But I kind of am intrigued by what these people are doing. I guess... I can be friends with them. They won't. I won't ever do what they're doing. But it wouldn't hurt, maybe. And then, like, it just keeps going. And then you deal with that, you know, Jesus. But it's the, the thorns of this world can choke out what you know is right. Um, and it's tough. So, and then when I think of the thorny ground, I think of. Um, the church in Ephesus and, Re and Revelation. Because on the outside, they look great. Which a lot of people, I think, who are like the Christians who are in the process of trying to not be choked out by thorns, look maybe awesome to people who are looking on. Like, wow, that person's got it together. But <laughs> if you could like look internally, it's like, wow, what a, that's awful. Like, dude, you need Jesus. <laughs> Even though other people are like, you've got Jesus, you, he needs Jesus. We might be that person. Because, you know, I'm going to go to it. Revelation. You read that. And it starts off like, hey, out of boy, you're doing great. You're doing great. But in the scheme of things, you're actually doing not good at all. Um, I'm just going to read it. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. First of all, the works and labor thing is not necessarily like a good works or labor thing. It's like you're busy. <laughs> you're doing stuff, which there's so many Christians, I feel like, who are almost so busy that they neglect their first love. 
even in the ministry, people are like in church, like doing only work for the church, but your work is now not even for Jesus anymore. It's just to do a task to get it done. And now you're forgetting maybe your own time in the Word. You're forgetting your own prayer time. And it's like, but I'm doing it for the church. But who cares? Because <laughs> if the person who's doing that work is dying, then who cares? You know, you got to pick up your Bible and read it for yourself, then go and serve the church. But it can also be out of that. Obviously, people who are obsessed with jobs and whatever, work and work and work and work. And then God's like, great, but you're forgetting about me. So that's that happy, that balance you need. But I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who um, say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake. There's the one that's labored for my namesake. So it is a different labor. There's the labor and then the labor for my namesake. So they're doing work for his name, but... And namesake, um, have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And that's the thing, too. It does not say you lost your first love. It says you left. It's a purposeful departure. Losing, it's just like, oh, I don't know where it went. But leaving, it's like, I know where it is, and I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on. I'm going to turn around for a bit. It's, it's more condemning. Because <laughs> if it's a lost, again, it's like a neglectful, like, oh, whoops, which it's still bad. But if I choose to be like, this stuff's more important right now. I'll get back to you in a second, but I really have to take care of the church. <laughs> Whatever. Well, no, you don't. Stop doing that. And... I just like that because it is on us then. It's remember where you've fallen from, repent. It's not like I've, I will bring you back. It's like you've got to snap out of it. And when I read the thorny ground thing, I just see a lot of the church. I do. Because I don't see, and I'm not saying there isn't, obviously there's churches, even in America, I don't see that, in other parts of the world that deal with the first thing. Because I see the rocky ground more of a persecution, turn away from Jesus. Or like there's so much hardship that I'm going to leave. I see the thorny ground as there's so much greatness that I'm distracted from Jesus. And I really see that more of the Western church. I don't see the church getting that much physical like persecution and hardship against them. But I do see, I mean, sure, again, that goes back to the family stuff. I definitely think the family stuff ties into both of those, where if you care more about like family, friends, what they're saying, what people think of you, then Jesus' opinion of you. And you start to drop the ball or leave your first love for your family who are not shouldn't be first love. So, anyways. Yeah. There just says repent there. To repent. So, and that's where I, what I do love. I do love when we read these and you're like, wow, that's... I hope I'm not a thorny ground person. The, you can, I believe, switch soils. <laughs> you know? Not that you're doing it. But God is gracious. You know, you can be getting choked up by thorns because God is gracious. He can be like, hey, I'm going to grab this section of soil and place it with the good soil. Now you can start blending in with that acidic good soil and you'll change. But it does have to, we have to do it. <laughs> like, it's not just going to, oh, great, I'm a Christian now. You have to, like, do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And then that last bit, which I feel like everybody, I mean, like I was, I've been doing, dwelling really a lot on the uh, the soils that we don't want to be a part of. But that last group is good too, and there's stuff to look at. Um, that in that, give me a second. There are several outcomes of the good soil. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. I feel like even in the good soil, that last statement can be turned into a thorn that can distract people. The how much are you doing for God? Because it says there, some people it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's doing what. Because obviously. There are some amazing guys like Billy Graham 
who's probably more in the hundredfold category or somebody who's at a small church in Maine who's maybe not, which at the end doesn't matter. We're serving God. That's great. But there are obviously a lot of people out there who are like, I want to be doing what you're doing because it looks more important. And it almost becomes that prideful thing where we're like, well, our church only has 20 people. I wish our church had 200 people or whatever the number. doesn't matter. And then that can in itself become, well, now you're being used by God, but now you're taking that and turning it to some personal like, gain thing. And, I mean, I don't even want to dwell on that, but it happens. I don't want to just mention it. But Let us just seek our first love and pursue what is righteous. Let us cling to the family of Christ. And man, maturing Christ how we're supposed to, you know? I think it's so it's so easy to be distracted like 99% of the time from Christianity. And I mean, I don't think there's a person's room could say they go distraction-free in a week. Cause if you do, you're awesome. But I don't. I mean, it's really difficult to never be not distracted. I feel like every time I read my Bible, even if it is a habitual thing, there's something that's possibly trying to make me not. Like like that you know you're starting to read your bible then there's like that ding like your phone where you're like you know what then it's like i'm not nope this is more but that's like what if somebody's like actually gonna hurt or something maybe this is an emergency it's like i don't if it's an emergency they'll call then the, you know phone rings you're like if this is them i'm gonna answer it if it's not i don't care whatever and then you're like all right whatever and then like you know now my son's awake, and it's like, just go back to sleep for a little bit, please. And I really want to read my Bible right now. And there's just always something, and it's like, man, Satan really doesn't want us to read the Bible. And it's like, I wish, I mean, it, we're never promised it's going to be a cakewalk, but I wish some days that it was. I wish being a Christian was just easy today. Like I just love doing everything that I was doing for God. And I didn't have to, like, fight myself, be like, I don't know. And that's where I go back to that whole thing on, you know, is it God telling me to go do that, or is it myself? No, I would never tell myself to go do that, because I am the worst. So if you ever have that, and you're like, is God telling me to go talk to that person? Yep, yep. It's no one else, unless there's literally somebody sitting next to you saying, go talk to that person. It's God, because Satan won't, and you won't. So, yeah, all right. But, and then moving on a little bit. Also, he said to them, as a lamp brought, um, brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it not to be set on a lampstand? There, um, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I just, I love that he keeps saying that, anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Because that's that statement again with the parables. Like, if you care, listen. Because obviously there's people there who were not hearers. They were, they probably already left by this point. They're like already gone. But there's people who are listening. And, and I love how he just keeps going with parables here for a second. Um, but this one kind of has a different tone. I believe this one totally speaks to boldness, <laughs> confidence in Christ, which, again, due to the thorns in our life, I think caused us to not be bold because you're like, I'd love to declare Jesus right now, but I care what people think about me. I care about how this Jesus word out of my mouth is going to affect the next section of my life. And it's the weirdest thing. That's the other thing about like overseas missions. When you bring up the fact that in overseas missions you do like public evangelism all the time, people are like, great. So you want to do that in America? People are like, no, <laughs> you can do it. But I'm not going to do that. Why? It seems weird. Why is it not weird in like Kyrgyzstan or China? Well, it's illegal in China. But... Whatever, a country where it's accepted, kind of. Why is that not as weird? Like people, oh, never. I've never heard somebody be like, like hear a missionary be like, yeah, we did open air like evangelism in, you know, Germany, and people are like, great. I've never heard somebody be like, that's so awkward. How'd you do that? But then you suggest that here, and people are like, you can do it. I'll pray for you. But uh, I'm good. Like the idea, like so, so I feel like, and it is. I mean, the first time you do evangelism, it is like. I'm like, man, you do, that first time you walk up to somebody who, like, is looking at you, like, why are you approaching me? And you're like, hey, 
and they're like, and you're like, Jesus. It's just like you try to talk about Jesus, and it's just, it is awkward, and it's like such an adrenaline rush. And then you're done with the conversation, you're like, I don't. I always, when I did events, like when I was doing missions, and I would like host little teams that would come. You'd always, because that's what happened to me. I was in Czech Republic with a group of people. I was like the one kid who didn't have a lot of experience doing it. And my one dude, Jeremy, in our group was like, loved it. He was like all about evangelism, didn't, wasn't phased by embarrassment at all. So he would keep, I didn't know this, but apparently he kept going up to people and like beginning a conversation and being like, yeah, this guy really wants to talk to you about it. And he'd like step out of the way and kind of like throw you in there. And you'd be like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. He did that to me with some atheist in Prague. And I immediately just got shut down, cussed out. And I was like, He's like, that's great, though. You've already experienced the worst thing that could happen in evangelism. So now I can only go up from here. I was like, that's a good point, but it hurts. And he's like, and you also have to remember who cares. It's Jesus that they're exalting, not you. So forget about your own pride. Which, But there's a lot that goes into evangelism that I'm like, I feel like if we were more bold and put our lamp out there on that stand instead of hiding it, America would be different. You know, I mean, back in, like, the early America days, it's like Whitfield, Whitfield and stuff, they were preaching. And people didn't always agree. <laughs> there was probably a lot of backlash, but they did it. They didn't care. And America was a different nation. And I just, man, I feel like people are like poke at. And I'm not necessarily talking about like soapbox, scream at people, because if you want to do something like that tactfully, fine. But like a conversation with a guy who like, hey, what are you doing? I don't know, whatever. Lead to a conversation about Jesus, possibly discipleship, possible salvation, and it's great. Maybe that guy's never going to set foot in a church, you know, or have any family member or friend that's ever going to say the name Jesus to him. It's like Peru was Peru was the coolest place to do evangelism because Kyrgyzstan it was a lot of Muslims who kind of wanted to debate. It was some salvation. It was great. Peru was just all Catholics, and they came to that like from that like yeah I'm on the same side as you. It's like well, kind of. Let's talk about it. And they really did. They liked to talk about it. You'd have conversations for like four hours on some bench with some guy, and it was great. And we'd have these conversations, and it was wonderful. And I was like, man, if we were doing this like in America, you don't have to be weird about evangelism. The one thing I learned, though, in that boldness, and I'm not going to tell people how to do evangelism because if you want to do it your own way that works, the great comfort method, whatever, go for it. I like just going right out there and just start talking about Jesus. Not because I want to be weird right up front, but I realized, like, as I've done the conversation where I sit down with a guy and I've, like, for three hours been talking about, like, his favorite football team and his favorite soccer team and what he ate for breakfast and all this whatever stuff. And then I finally get to like this segue in the conversation where I'm like, what do you believe in? And they're immediately like, well, how did we go from soccer and good stuff to something I don't want to talk about? So it doesn't, I was like, it didn't matter how much of a relationship I built with somebody. Once I brought up Jesus, they were either going to accept it or not. So I'm like, I guess I should just start with it so I don't waste three hours. So I always am just like, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And people are like, yes or no. <laughs> and they either stay or not. And I'm like, oh, I saved so much time doing this. And it's a little awkward, but man, I'm just, I have a big heart for evangelism and just talking with people about Jesus in public or not, but I don't know. I think that boldness that is, that the thorn of anti-boldness is, is around so many people in the church. People have such a, there's so many great excuses or reasons why they won't do it, but I've never heard a lot of great reasons why, like, like good reasons why, like why, like compelling, like. Convince me why you shouldn't be. Because again, the Bible, you know, you're to do the work of an evangelist. Now people are like, that's written to a person. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's written to us. I mean, do the work of an evangelist. Talk to people. I mean, you don't have to go and like pack a backpack and go somewhere and like, that's your mission. But like walking down the street and you see somebody, again, that voice, like, hey, talk to that person. Do it. <laughs> so, I don't know. Be bold, man. Don't hide your lamp. Don't hide Christ. The only thing that's good in us, don't hide it. The only thing that's good in us should be the thing that's leading our like walking through the day. So let's do that. And there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor which has anything, nor has anything been kept secret, um, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to pray, guys. I'm just... 
I really, I don't know. There's, there's obviously, it's, it's tough in our culture in America. I mean, obviously, America keeps getting worse every day, but I think that there's like that, there's a more of a more of a dividing line between like, well, the world and Christians, but the gray area in that is Christians and like Christians, because I feel like there's, you know, I, so many places where I've gone and I've met people like I'm a Christian, so I'm talking to them, I'm like, I hope you are, but like. I don't think you are. I'm not trying to judge you, but you're definitely not speaking as if you know what you're talking about. Um, which I, you know, pray God changes you and you get more of a zeal and great. But as of right now, like, that's a lot of America. West, I won't say America because it's in Europe too. You say it all over the place. But I just know that as we keep getting further into that, I feel like if we are on the side of being a Christian, let's jump further on the team of let's be more bold about Christianity. If they're getting more wishy-washy, let's do the opposite and be more like on fire for it. Because, again, people are like, I don't know what's wrong with the world. That is it. If Christians did what we're called to do more, it would be better. I won't say it will fix it because I believe that the Bible has a course that we're running and we're going to be running that no matter what happens, but I think it would make it better. And um, and it would be, we would actually be doing what God's telling us to do. So it would be obedient. But be bold and... Don't let those thorns choke you out. Let's pray and um, yeah, Lord, I I do pray for all of us here, Lord, who I know love you, and we are troubled by the world and those distractions and those thorns that try to sneak their way into our life and choke us out, Lord. But I pray that we would abide in the true vine more, and that, that would pull it. You would pull us out of that those thorny situations, Lord, and you'd have us just be planted permanently in that good soil and that we would be receiving the gospel properly. We would be um, producing, you know, it says, you know, 30, 60, you know, 100-fold, Lord, for you. We would be doing what you've created us to do, which is to bring glory to you by sharing the gospel with anyone who would have ears to hear. So, yeah, Lord, give us boldness and... Um, let us just proclaim who you are. Let that light in our life shine so that people don't have to be like, is that a Christian? Not in a like obnoxious way, but so people like, you know, can just notice that, that there's that difference, that light that is odd to see in this world, but it's really dark. So go before us, Lord. Make our way straight. And as we go tonight, tomorrow, the rest of this week, um, Lord, just help us abide in you stronger and fill us with your spirit as we leave. We love you. I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.